a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 122 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guys say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and be sure to share the podcast on your favorite social media outlet. I'm here in the world-famous Say the Damn Score podcast studio, a.k.a. my spare bedroom in Burnsville, Minnesota, but maybe not for very much longer. What does that mean, you say? Nothing too exciting. Don't worry, we're not moving, we're not uh, uh, uprooting anything at this point, but we are in the middle of building a third bedroom in our townhome, and moving the Say the Damn Score studio downstairs so that we can have the upstairs spare bedroom, which currently houses my office and the world-famous Say the Damn Score studio, uh, for the baby's room that is coming. As uh, we've mentioned before, my wife Sarah is uh, 21 weeks pregnant, and it is starting to become a reality, and we are looking forward to making that addition to our family, but that will come at the cost of having to, you know, end a true landmark in the niche sportscasting podcast industry. And that means moving the Say the Damn Score World Studio downstairs to my basement. I know that's devastating news to everybody. Please try to get through it one day at a time. On a more serious note, uh, as most of you know, I do my own streaming service for area high schools here in the Twin Cities. And... Uh, it was pretty successful last year, and uh, I've been out selling sponsorships as if games will happen, and it's going pretty well, but the uncertainty over uh, the accurateness of that plan, whether games will happen or not, is very much in doubt, and it's going to be really hard to uh, really know whether this already difficult year is going to take a even more difficult nosedive down into the pool of difficulty. That's a lot of difficult in one sentence, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. The governor of Minnesota is supposed to make an announcement of what is going to happen with school in a little less than two weeks, and then we should be able to come up with some sort of a picture regarding what will happen with high school sports. So, um, that's kind of where things are at right now. I'm hoping for the best. I'd say preparing for the worst, but I really don't know what I'll do if there's no sports income uh, in the fall. That will lead to some quick reevaluations and probably some more, I don't want to call them unpleasant, but uh, part-time jobs that I did not want to have and would not have under any other circumstances. So, uh, that's where things are. Some good news, some bad news, some in-between. 
And now it is time for the podcast. And this week, I'm happy to be joined by Tom Leach. He is the radio voice of University of Kentucky football and basketball. And Tom, thanks so much for coming on the show. Doing well in these crazy times. What are you doing in quarantine, and when is the last time you've left your house? Oh, I left the house about three hours ago, actually, uh, to uh, go out for one errand. So I uh, try to get out in, uh, every day or two, and at least even if it's just for a drive, we've had some really nice weather. So just to get out, see some sunshine. and uh, Otherwise, though, it's mostly the, the grocery store or, um, you know, some uh, – something else like that but uh that's mostly staying in i've got a daily radio show here in kentucky that i uh, do so that gives me a a project to stay engaged with and it goes year round so uh we're used to going into off-season mode uh as it pertains to the wildcats around this time of year just had to start earlier this year what are you talking about on your daily radio show with no sports well we are primarily a show that is built around the Wildcats. So it's not a sports show per se, as it is focused on the cats and it's worked well. So I don't get into uh, not having sports uh, beyond the Wildcats is, is not much of an issue. We might talk a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of red Cincinnati Reds fans in this area. Uh, horse racing. If, if Keeneland were going on leading up to the Derby would occupy a little time, but uh, otherwise, um, we have, we have uh, guests on, uh, you, know, you get into more speculation right now about, you know, transfers, who's going to the NBA, who's not. Eventually, uh, I'm hopeful that once start, things start to, to crystallize toward uh, hopefully having a football season to talk about in uh, September, that we can start focusing in on, on football uh, that occupies a good bit of time over the spring and summer. I read that you knew as an eighth grader that you wanted to eventually move on to be not only a sportscaster, but specifically the voice of the Wildcats. Looking back at that right now, what would you have told your younger self when you made that goal and said it out loud for everyone to hear? That was uh, too, nobody in my family had ever had a, taken a path like that. And nobody really that I knew had, uh, we had a in-house uh, TV newscast that we did in junior high school one of our uh, teachers uh, helped get that going and i did the sports cast and i imagine that's probably where the the seed was maybe planted and grew up listening to a lot of sports on radio because uh, espn didn't start until my senior year of high school so you listen to more sports growing up uh, i did than, than watching them um so i would have probably been naive and, and stupid enough to say just uh, work hard and you'll get there. I didn't have a full appreciation for how narrow the target was and uh, probably the length of the odds, so I've been very blessed. And looking back on that, you did choose to go to the University of Kentucky for college. Was that because you had that narrow goal and you thought that was the best way to do it? Well, I was already working in uh, my hometown, about a half hour north of Lexington, in radio and uh, for the local newspaper. And so I uh, was pretty laser focused on what I wanted to do. And I thought I was on the path toward doing that by uh, working, doing games, high school games. And so that's, uh, it wasn't so much as uh, going to UK with the thought of that would help me get 
hired, it was going to UK because um, I've got these jobs here that I love doing, and so it's it's very convenient to uh, attend UK. And also, you know, um, it's it's a school uh, from a sports standpoint that I grew up following, and so just kind of the natural inclination to to go there anyway. What's the journalism and broadcasting program like at UK? Just because I've talked on this podcast to you know lots of Syracuse Orange men and. I think we've had some people on from Kansas and Northwestern. I've never really heard about Kentucky's program. Uh, what did they have to offer, and why did it fit you well? Well, in, when I was coming through college in the early 80s, the journalism program, I think, at, at UK was stronger than the communications, or radio and TV side. So uh, since I was already doing uh, radio, um, I focused on uh, the, the journalism side, uh, liked to write and had some ability at it, at doing that. So I uh, went down that path. Um, now um, I think uh, Kentucky's, uh, the, the broadcast side has gotten stronger over the years, and they're really making a, a strong commitment in recent years. There's a uh, young lady who um, covered the U.K. football beat for the local newspaper for many years who's now um, in their program, and they're trying to really uh, build it up. So uh, it you know, certainly wouldn't be on a par with you know, Syracuse and some of those schools, but uh, I think it is uh, really getting uh, much stronger. Are you involved in the journalism program at all? Do you do any, if not teaching, do you make appearances and just kind of mentor the up-and-comers? Yes, yeah. I've, I've spoken to classes and uh, helped them out on a couple of projects. So, uh, yes, I am, I am involved to, uh, to an extent. Growing up in rural Kentucky, I'm going to guess it was somewhat similar to uh, me growing up in Nebraska, where there's a ton of a ton of fanatical fandom around one sport, and you had a lot of you had several really good broadcasters in that area covering uh, UK sports and in that area. What influence did Guys like Kaywood Ledford and uh, maybe to a lesser degree Marty Brenneman from the Reds. You said that there was a lot of Reds fans around there. What did hearing those voices growing up? How did that influence you? I've always said that to me it was a better source of instruction and how to do the job well than I probably could have gotten in any classroom. Um, listening to Kaywood Ledford and, and Ralph Hacker, who Ralph then later followed Kaywood, so listening to them do the Kentucky games and then Al Michaels first and then uh, in the early 70s for a few years and then Marty uh, doing the Reds games. So, um, you know, I had great uh, voices to listen to. And then uh, being a uh, – and I you know, really became a fan of the business, I um, would listen to guys like Jack Buck doing the Cardinal games or Ernie Harwell doing the Tiger games and had uh, having Kaywood, Ralph, Marty, uh, as voices that I listened to uh, regularly uh, as I was uh, an aspiring broadcaster, uh, I think was a uh, just a, a wonderful stroke of luck for me. And Kaywood Ledford, beyond being a voice that influenced you, seemed like he became a mentor to you later on in the research I did. Uh, I know you posted his critiques that he gave you of your work on your website that I'm assuming you look at every now and then just as a reminder, but how did you build that relationship and what did it mean? I remember when I was uh, just getting ready to start 
uh, college at UK in 79, I uh, asked Kaywood to, for, to get a, for a meeting and see if he could take a tape for, tape for me, which he was kind enough to do then. And uh, I, I remember uh, though at the time thinking that he uh, would be so impressed by this tape that he would hire me to come and work for him in his production company here in Lexington that he had just started and that uh, I would take off from there. And that, that didn't happen. And looking back, it's understandable why I needed a whole lot more work. Uh, but Kaywood was very kind always and uh, critiqued the tape. I remember, I can't remember anything particular that he said, but just was very encouraging. And then in the middle part of the eighties, I came to work for the station that was the flagship station in Lexington for the university of Kentucky network. And my thought being that if I could get on that team, that would be the best way to then get on the the uh, the UK network team that I really wanted, and as it turned out, that that was a a good plan. And uh, then so I started that in '89, and so was uh, but even before then, covering the team uh, was around uh, Kwood a lot because he had a relationship with uh, the station with which I worked, and so he was always just very classy, gracious. And then uh, as I got to work on the network in 89, doing post-game shows, scoreboard shows, et cetera, uh, was around him a lot more and you know, would pick his brain from time to time. And then he did like a critique in 89, and then he did another one when uh, I got the uh, football job in 97. And uh, those are a couple of um, prized possessions that I have in my uh, files. And as you said, they're on the website. Uh, one's handwritten, the other one's uh, typed sign but yeah he uh he was just always very encouraging uh would be able to give you good and it when it was a critique it was not you know you're doing a great job it was you do you're doing it doing a good job but here are some things that you can work on to try to get better and so i always try to put those into practice you mentioned putting things into practice and trying to get better from old tape and another thing it's interesting you still have the tape from the very first time you were on the air as a, I believe, a junior in high school. Why have you kept that so long? Oh, I guess my mom must have probably recorded that. And uh, so I just thought it was kind of uh, nice to have uh, from the very first time I would. Uh, I got in talk to the local radio station into giving me a, a job. Uh, which was keeping stats for the high school broadcast crew. And then they would let me come on at halftime and at the end of the game and have a couple of minutes to recap my stats that I kept. And um, so I did the first game I did, uh, I guess my mom must have taped. And so it's a very scratchy copy, but you can uh, hear how, uh, how bad I really was at that time. And it's kind of nice to, to have that too. I've uh, played it for some uh, classes I've talked to and things just, you know, you just to understand that, uh, you know, you, you can get better and, you know, with practice, you, you can improve and don't get too cocky too soon, etc. Was there a moment where you mentioned not getting too cocky? And obviously, a lot of times early in broadcasters careers, they think they're better than they are. Did you ever have that moment where you got knocked down and realized, hey, I need to put in the work to get this done? Oh, yeah. There was probably somewhere in the, the 90s, I guess, uh, uh, Jim Host, uh, legendary uh, sports marketing figure in the college game, and the 
gentleman who really uh, he, he didn't start the University of Kentucky network, but he he took it to the, the highest level and kept it there for a long, long time. And I uh, asked him to critique a tape one time, and he uh, was very good as far as giving me meaningful points to work on, but uh, also said that he he didn't you know didn't know if I would uh, I think I must have. I can't remember exactly the meeting, but you must have expressed the desire to uh, maybe have that UK play-by-play job at some point. And he uh, was skeptical uh, of that happening, and uh, you know wasn't wasn't uh, didn't have the basically didn't have the game for it at that point. And I remember being um, uh, down at the time, but then uh, talked to some you know other mentors and. took it as an opportunity to um, not get discouraged, but to work and get better. The gentleman I was working for who uh, ran and then later owned the UK flagship station, there was Ralph Hacker who had worked with Kaywood for so long. And uh, uh, Ralph was, was wonderful as a, as a mentor, probably more so than, than anybody for me. Uh, probably Jim host would, would be next, but uh, I think Ralph encouraged me to take an assignment that I initially turned down doing, uh, one school's high school games for an entire season. And that was uh, good advice to take that job because it helped me uh, polish my game up, um, doing it week after week. We did, did uh, kind of hit and miss uh, games, and I didn't get the, the regular reps, so to speak. And uh, that was very beneficial to do that. And then uh, went back, and, and then Jim – uh, felt that I did improve, and then fortunately in '97, actually hired me. And um, he's a business partner of mine now. Has been uh, just a tremendous uh, mentor. So Jim's a guy that's always going to be, you know, shoot straight with you, and he did with me. But uh, he also, uh, you know, acknowledged that I put in the work to get better, and so fortunately it worked out. Why did you initially turn down that high school position? I think I was uh, fairly uh, duly married. Uh, as I recall, I think we just, our, our first child was maybe just a year or two old. And so it was being gone every Friday night. And um, uh, I think it was m- m- mainly for that reason. Plus the, the pay wasn't great. And uh, then uh, Ralph kind of wisely convinced me to look at the bigger picture. You bounced around doing high school and kind of rural radio for a little while, got a really big break in 1989 when you joined the UK radio network, I think as a halftime, postgame, pregame type of host. What were the sequence of events that led to you getting your foot in that door, which eventually led to you becoming the voice of the Wildcats? Well, in 84, I'd gone to work for the flagship station there in Lexington, uh, WVLK at the time. And it uh, had gone to Mount Sterling for my first full-time job out of college. And then uh, the next uh, summer got the job in Lexington doing news, but I just wanted to get on the team there. And so then once I was on the team, I was constantly volunteering uh, to, to do sports assignments whenever something would come up. The guy who was our uh, sports director then left in 87 to go to Denver um, his, uh, wife at the time got a job out there. And so, uh, he followed her and, uh, went to work uh, actually covering university of Colorado for a long time and opened up the sports job. And so since I was there and had been doing a lot of sports, I moved into the sports director job and that was probably 87. And then in 89, uh, Jim host company, 
uh, acquired the broadcast rights to UK. They had lost them for a period, I think, of eight years. And Jim's company got them back. And so then he put together his team for the network, didn't change the play-by-play and and analyst role in Kaywood and Ralph, but some of the support positions like post-game host for me, I think I did the scoreboard show initially on the post-game. So I got a chance to uh, have a small role and um, then just try to grow, grow from there. And so I uh, did that from 89 uh, to nine, somewhere in the mid nineties. I got that high school gig and got better at play by play. Um, and then uh, we did some, some college, small college work. And then in 97, uh, the uh, Ralph had told me the year before that he was going to step down from football and that he was going to continue to do basketball, but that he would uh, recommend me for the football job, which was uh, tremendous to hear. And so then in spring of 97, I got hired to do Kentucky football, just a a one-year deal um, because I didn't have a lot of college experience. I knew the program very well. I was a UK graduate, so I knew the history and I uh, had uh, the backing of, of Ralph Hacker was a tremendous asset. So I had and been on the network, had been on the team for a while. So I had those things going for me, but there were others that had a lot more uh, experience on their resumes. So uh, Jim took a little bit of a risk. And so understandably, gave me a you know a one-year deal to do Kentucky football. And it went well. Fortunately, um, my first season coincided with Hal Mummy arriving installing Tim Couch as the quarterback and putting in the air raid system. And so they scored a bunch of points, very popular with fans. And so the team does well. The announcer usually is uh, more popular. So uh, my timing was fortuitous there. And then in 2001, uh, after the 2001 season, uh, Ralph stepped down from the basketball job. And so having already had the football job, they added basketball to my duties. And so I've been doing both ever since. How often do you just stop, take a look around, and say, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do as an eighth grader? Yeah, especially when uh, you're you know, NCAA tournament games or uh, a bowl, big bowl game or, uh, you know, Kentucky played Georgia with the SEC East on the line a few years ago. Those big moments in, in particular, I think probably I uh, have a uh, great, you know, kind of have those kind of moments where you're, uh, game day and you uh, got all the preparation done and then you kind of walk into the arena or into the stadium and kind of have those uh, those moments. So I, uh, I try never to forget how uh, fortunate I am. Some of it's, you know, you, you, you put in the work and hopefully you have some level of skill, but you have to have a little good fortune and you have to have a lot of um, people that believe in you. And so uh, fortunately I did. You have a philosophy about the monotony of greatness that uh, you, according to some of the stuff I read about you, that you try to use on a daily basis. Explain what that is and how you're able to use that thought process to continue to become better, even as you have already achieved a very high level. That was a, a line that uh, belongs to Hal Mummy. Uh, and- Hal's, as I said, his first season was my first season doing football, and C.M. Newton was then the athletics director at Kentucky, and after uh, Jim Host hired me for the job, C.M. Newton took uh, Hal and I to lunch to get acquainted, and I think that was was 
wonderful for me in that it kind of put the end stamp of approval on me to the new coach, Hal Mummy. And so uh, Hal and I had a, a tremendous relationship. Uh, he gave me just complete access. I would go watch uh, tape with him on Sunday afternoons or some of his assistants to learn a lot more about football. And that uh, air raid system that uh, he put together and that uh, others like Mike Leach have uh, built on. And I'm glad that in recent years uh, they've, they've traced the lineage of that all the way back to, to Hal as they should rather than stopping with Mike. But um, uh, it was a system based on uh, repetition and they didn't have, they didn't have a, a lot of things that they did, but they, they had a small number of plays out of a myriad of formations and a lot of it was just based on repetition over and over and over again so that you just become second nature to, to make the right read and to have quarterbacks and receivers and running backs kind of uh, have a, a relationship that a point guard might have with uh, his or her fellow players on the court where you just know where they need to get the ball or can see them coming open before they actually do. So those repetitions uh, is what made that what does still make that system work. And he used a phrase one time called the monotony of greatness. And he was a big Jimmy Buffett fan, but also an Eagles fan. And uh, I've always loved the Eagles. And his line was that, you know, just think about when you go to hear the Eagles play Hotel California, it sounds great to you. Uh, the one time you hear it, they've played it hundreds of times. The, and they heard it hundreds of times. So the one time you hear it, it sounds uh, tremendous. It's at or near perfection. And that's what he was trying to get his players to understand with the repetition of that offense. So I thought it was, thought it was a great line uh, about just the, the preparation that it takes, whether it's uh, an athlete, broadcaster, really anything you do, you know, golf's a good analogy uh, where it's a good, very analogous to golf where it's just, you know, think how many times, you know, Tiger Woods has made the same swing on a practice range before it uh, looks perfect at the Masters. And it's that, uh, he called it the monotony of, of greatness to be great at something. It uh, takes just tons of repetitions. There was a, a book um, a few years ago, what was it? I think it was called Outliers. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I think, uh, talking about you know, 10,000 repetitions to, uh, get, uh, you know, at the, you know, the highest proficiency level for, for a task. So that's where that goes back to. Part of that is your preparation, as you mentioned. And I read that you have a unique way of keeping all the records and, uh, last time certain events happened in a Kentucky sports game, like running back a fumble or, making 10 three-pointers, whatever it is, uh, that you have a special document that you set up that gives you all that information on a quick touch. What does that look like, and how did you develop that system? Uh, that part is just a, just a Word document that I update after every game. Uh, it'll be things for the current season. Uh, it'll be things like, um, you know, for a basketball game, it might be Kentucky's record when they shoot 50% or better or the opponent's record when they shoot 50% or better or leading at halftime, trailing at halftime, things like that. 
um, you know, 20 point games in the season, uh, 30 point games in the season, double doubles, all those kinds of things, similar things for football. So you update those for the current team. But I also see in that, uh, word doc is, um, some numbers on a lot of different things that uh, I think the the heading is records that could fall today. Just been that way from the start. I've never changed it. Um, But it's things that, that could happen. Sometimes it, you know, in uh, football, it's things like last 200 yard rushing game, uh, last time a hundred yard rusher and receiver in the same game, last block punt for a touchdown, uh, most touchdown rushing in a game, most touchdowns passing in a game, all just a ton of stuff like that. It all goes back to a meeting with Jim Host after he hired me, and he was talking about what his level of expectations were for the job. And one of the things he talked about was you there would be a beat writer, uh, and actually it's the, the, at the time it was kind of Jerry Tipton who was still uh, is the beat writer for the local paper here in Lexington for basketball, but at that time it was football and basketball. And uh, he did a, a great job of, in his uh, recap of the game, it would uh, tell you all those kinds of things the next day. Um, you know, that 20-point uh, game by Smith last night was his 10th one of the season, or the 30-point uh, game it was the first 30-point game for a Kentucky player since whenever. And Jim said, uh, your goal should be um, – to um, have your listeners not read anything in the paper that they didn't hear on the broadcast the day before. And so, you know, I got to be perfect, but that's kind of always what I shoot for is the sports information folks will bring in. If somebody, you know, sets a record or something noteworthy happens, they'll bring in a note to our broadcast booth. And I'm always disappointed if they bring in something that I haven't already mentioned more often than not, I've been able to, already mentioned it and anticipate, you know, records that were going to be could possibly be broken on that day. And um, I was disappointed if I get something that uh, I didn't, didn't catch, but hopefully that doesn't happen too often. How much stuff do you put in that document? It obviously needs to be somewhat easy to find. Uh, how do you decide what goes in there and what doesn't? Oh, it's most of it probably goes back to uh, the initial uh, when I was you know, initially doing uh, games, um, and it's you know built over the years, um, and I'm actually calling up while we're sitting here talking, calling up a file from the last football game uh, last year. Scroll down to where that is. It's it's about three or four pages. There's one. There's two pages of University of Kentucky individual records. And again, some of the things that I mentioned, you know, touchdown passes in a game, most interceptions thrown in a game, receptions in a game. Uh, there's two pages of that last time, you know, block punt, last time kickoff return touchdown. Then there's some team records, uh, you know, most points in a quarter, most points in a half, most points at uh, the Kroger Field, most uh, times over 40 points in a season. I'm just looking at, you know, some of the things that are on here. And I've got a few SEC records. So it's three pages of those, and uh, some of the fonts are small. Just I don't want to have too many pages to have to deal with every week. So I try to, for my newspaper days, uh, keep it uh, to where there's a lot of white space. It's easy to, to find things, uh, just kind of my own uh, way that it looks to my eye, easy for me to, to find it. Um, and you know, passing stats are all grouped together, rushing stats 
those kinds of things where uh, I know where to look for it if something happens. You also are active in horse racing and broadcasting that. Do you just report or do you actually do play-by-play of horse races? I wasn't able to find that. No, just report and uh, interviews um, and some handicapping uh, podcasts and videos. I've never called a race. That's actually something uh, that uh, uh, keeps saying I'm going to go do it just with a you know, recorder up in the uh, some small track that doesn't get much of a crowd on a Wednesday afternoon in July and just go uh, try to call some races and uh, see if I could do it. I think it would be fun to do, but uh, it doesn't really mesh with the schedule for uh, football mainly. Um, like Keeneland, our track here in Lexington, they run a meet in the spring, which, you know, if that job ever came open, I could do a spring meet, but I couldn't do a fall meet because it's in October. So, um there's not a lot of uh, racing jobs that um, would mesh well with the, the football and basketball schedule. But um, at some point in my life, I do think that would be uh, fun to try. What are the challenges of doing good reports and coverage of a sport where the main athletes are animals? They can't talk to you. They can't tell you anything. Uh, what are some of the unique challenges that that provides? Well, there's plenty of people around them. There's a trainer, there's a owner or group of owners, the, the jockeys. Um, so uh, you have, uh, and, and because racing doesn't get the abundance of coverage that football and basketball and baseball uh, does, uh, I think most often they're uh, accommodating and uh, you get access to them. And um, so it's, it's a little easier to, uh, find uh, to get sources than it is where you get you know so many bloggers and things these days that cover say a, a college football or basketball team that uh, it's it's hard to get uh, much one on one time with uh, coaches and, and players whereas it's uh, much easier to do in, in racing um, so um, you kind of talk to the people around them which is uh, you know in, in the other sports the humans you can talk to the athlete, but you also talk to the people around them, their teammates, uh, coaches, etc. Give us a handicapping tip. If we're at the track and we're looking at the horses as they're showing them, what's the first thing we should look for? Well, you can look at the the jockey, the standings for the jockeys. And a, uh, a friend who's a good handicapper uh, gave me a line many years ago that jockeys, there's eight, the jockeys have agents that try to like and uh, procure the, the mounts for them on a given day's card. And the agent, the good agents uh, are the ones who can uh, identify the horses that have the best chance to win and then put their, and then if the jockey's proficient enough at his job, then you uh, win at a high percentage. So 10% of the jockeys generally win about 90% of the, the races. So you can look at the jockey standings, although the jock, the horses with the leading jockeys generally have, uh, lower odds. Uh, one one thing I, I could give you beyond that is in about any racing program or racing form, any track you go to, they'll have a uh, box there in the past performance block that will tell you how that horse has done at that particular track. And that's maybe if you're looking for just one thing that might give you uh, something over the course of the day, you might find a, a horse that's you know, run seven times at that track and won four times and maybe it's 10 to one. Um, 
you know, so that that's where you, that's maybe one, one thing you could look at if you're going to the races beyond the things that uh, most people will gravitate to like jockeys and trainers winning percentages uh, much like with a team. Sometimes, you know, players shoot better in a, in a given arena or uh, play, you know, elevate their game against, you know, a given team over the course of their career. And some horses are better on certain surfaces. What is the most unique horse name you've ever come across? A cow. <laughs> a space C-O-W. Uh, ran two times at Keeneland, probably back in the 80s, and brought up the rear both times, so barely got mentioned. that I, I was so looking forward to that horse come roaring down the stretch, and the trainer would say, a cow on the outside. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Being the voice of the University of Kentucky, not a ton of huge football moments over your career, but a ton of huge basketball games where you really are broadcasting Final Fours and National Championship games, Conference Tournament Championship games. Uh, what do you see as the keys to really doing well on a broadcast in the big moments are? And how did you learn them? You don't want to treat it any differently than you know an, an exhibition game that started the, the season. Um, same way with, with athletes. Now it is a, you know, it, it is, uh, different. There's, uh, you know, more people listening, but in terms of just the, the nuts and bolts of doing the job, uh, it should be the, the same night in and night out. And you don't want to get too caught up in the uh, excitement of the, the moment and, uh, forget to do an adequate job of, uh, saying the damn score, given the <laughs> title of your podcast or, um, you know, misidentifying names or things where you get too caught up in the emotion of the game. You're there to do a job. Uh, so, you know, I've never had any problem with, uh, you know, cheering some, some media members, especially now where you've got, uh, people who are, uh, maybe came, came into this field from other careers and they're doing blogs and they, I find it hard to avoid cheering for the team that they're covering because they were a fan, uh, so much of their life before they started covering them, but never had a, Problem because of the people I learned from, like Kaywood Ledford, Ralph Hacker, Jim Host, etc. To you know, you're there to do the job, and so you don't get too caught up in the emotion of the moment. So, uh, and I tended to do that a little bit when I was first getting started. I was doing uh, some of the uh, games of you know my own high school or uh, people that do really well, and so I'd get a little too excited and get distorted, and you know some of the quality of the broadcast, or you forget to do things like I say, time and score and all those kinds of. Uh, you know, fundamentals. Before I let you go, I ask everybody to share what I like to call broadcast horror stories where, you know what, somewhere in rural Kentucky, something really weird happened during a broadcast. Maybe you had a really strange setup. Uh, maybe all your equipment simultaneously shut down. Uh, just a funny story that uh, drives you nuts at the time, but you can look back on and laugh now. Oh, let's see. One that comes to mind uh, a couple of seasons ago, Kentucky played uh, four exhibition games in the Bahamas in August. And the uh, first night we, we did the games on the UK network because of the passion of the Kentucky fans. And uh, so we're doing the game and about midway through the game, the power goes out in the arena. I mean, it goes uh, dark. And finally they, I guess, so the generator, they get the power back up to where they could restart the game. But our um, lines were down, 
couldn't uh, our broadcast was was gone so um and i uh, my being out of the country i didn't have the adequate plan on my phone to uh, just use the phone but our uh, broadcast our engine broadcast engineer his uh, girlfriend was on the trip and she had a, a phone that uh, we could do the broadcast over that uh, had the adequate plan and so we used her phone and i would call the game on the phone and that you know move the uh, microphone on the phone over to my partner, Mike Pratt, to give his commentary. We did that for most of the second half until uh, all the power came back up in the arena. So from a technical standpoint, that was uh, a little bit crazy. And then uh, it's one I remember you know, preparing. Uh, this is just kind of a thing you can uh, um, can happen to you once in a while. And, uh, you know, mistakes happen. I was doing uh, Kentucky was playing Ole Miss probably somewhere in the uh, early 2000s. Maybe they had a player uh, named Harper, uh, and I can't remember his first name, but at the same time, the Dallas Cowboys had a wide receiver named, I think it was Alvin Harper. And so on my score sheet, I was, I think the Cowboys were in the playoffs at the time, and I put Alvin Harper down. And just, it was just a mental lapse. And uh, I didn't even think about it until after the game, I was listening to a tape back. Unfortunately, it was the opposing team and we're the Kentucky broadcasters and there probably weren't a whole lot of Ole Miss fans listening. And I don't say the first names a whole lot, but even to this day, I can still, it still bugs me that I called him Alvin Harper. Uh, every time I called him, didn't, didn't even notice it. I was listening back to the tape after the game. So try to make extra uh, care and then tell, you know, people around me, like you hear me, you know, get one wrong like that. Don't hesitate to tell me. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to if you were just flipping through the dial on a a night off? Nowadays or all time? Nowadays. Maybe one or two on the Uh, national level and somebody who's maybe more local or regional in your area that's under the radar. uh, Kevin Harlan is really good, I think, at the national level and does a a lot of radio and TV. I kind of think more of the the radio guys because that's what I'm doing and uh, uh, Kevin's exceptional at, at both but does a lot of Monday Night Football on the radio so he's one on the, the national level uh, as far as uh, you know regional uh, you know uh, my friend uh, Bob Kessling with Tennessee's really good now with Sirius Radio you can hear uh, some of the uh, other uh, broadcasts around the, the league or around the country Eli Gold uh, Eli, uh, don't see him often because Kentucky and Alabama don't cross paths often in football and he doesn't do much basketball, but, uh, Eli is outstanding and, and couldn't be a nicer guy. Well, you have a hard out that is coming up in about two minutes. So we will wrap things up. Uh, again, we're talking with Tom Leach, the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats and Tom, if anybody, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, what would the best way to do that be? Probably through my website. It's TomLeachKY.com. I'm uh, just an independent contractor. Uh, so the radio show is uh, one my company produces and uh, along with another show. So everything, go to the website. And you can uh, find the email address there. And um, if uh, for uh, questions or something, it's probably the best way to do it. Or on Twitter, it's at TomLeachKY. Uh, I've got a Facebook page for the radio show, The Leach Report, but I don't use a lot of Facebooks. I use Twitter probably more than anything, along with email. All right, Tom. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Happy to do it. Enjoyed the visit. 
Thank you for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please follow me on your favorite social media outlet. I'm on Twitter, radio underscore Logan. I'm also on Instagram on Say the Damn Score. And if you haven't yet and you're a new listener or you're just an old listener who is stuck in their ways, still listening to this on the internet browser on your computer, please try to subscribe to it on your phone or device of your choice. It will automatically notify you every time there's a new episode, and it just makes me feel good when I see those subscriber numbers go up. So make me feel good during these tough times. Remember, Apple Podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.